marijuana, pot, grass, shake, bud, ganja, chronic, cannabis. Cannabis. Whatever term you use, less than 10 years ago, it was a product that was trafficked in the shadows. Hey, buddy. Hey, hey buddy. Hey, buddy. And today, in Oregon and many other states in the U.S., you get a receipt and a bag with your purchase. Thank you. Come again. I'm Travis Box, and I am fascinated by the complexities of what seems like a voter-approved gold rush happening in real time. Will we cultivate Oregon's greatest cash crop ever? Or will this great experiment and legalization go up in smoke? (coughs) Each episode, I'll sit down one-on-one with the major players in the Oregon cannabis industry. The activists. The medical professionals. The legislators. The economists. The regulators. The lobbyists. How did Oregon get to this place in history? And where does this budding billion-dollar industry go from here? You see what I did there? You're listening to Mainstream Weedia on the COIN Podcast Network. Cannabis is more than just medicine or for adult recreational use. The plant has tremendous potential to benefit humankind from an industrial standpoint. To look at that potential in Oregon, the United States, and globally, I've invited back to the podcast cannabis economist Bo Whitney. He's looked at the data, he understands the potential, and he has some powerful things to say about industrial hemp. In this, the first of two parts, Bo will help us understand the difference between cannabis and hemp and paint a picture of the uses and benefits. And they are many. You're listening to Mainstream Media. Hi, this is Jeff Giannola from Coin6 News, and I'd like to invite you to watch Coin6 News at 10 on Portland CW. It's our award-winning newscast, one hour earlier at 10 o'clock. A full hour of the stories that are important to you and your family from the news team that's watching out for you. Plus, Portland's most accurate forecast certified by weather rate from Chief Meteorologist Natasha Stenbach. See why more people are switching to Coin6 News at 10 on Portland CW. Watching out for you. Welcome back to Mainstream Media. When I had Bo Whitney on the podcast to talk about adult-use cannabis and the economic potential, I knew I had to invite him back to talk about the even greater potential of the other use of the plant, industrial hemp. Bo, first off, hemp is not a drug, correct? That's correct. There's been a lot of misperception because hemp grew into prominence due to the productization of CBD. So people think of hemp as CBD, and they confuse it between, quote-unquote, marijuana-based CBD. It all comes from the same plant, different strains. But people view CBD as a medicinal type of product, and as such, they view hemp as a medicine, and then that translates into hemp as a drug, and that's actually filtered into a lot of the policy at the state and local levels, as well as at the federal level. But hemp is not a drug. And I can't iterate and reiterate that enough. There's so many different applications associated with industrial hemp, industrial cannabis, that it makes the CBD side of the industry look really, really small when you look at the total potential of hemp. One of the reasons that I wanted you back on this podcast for this discussion was a quote that I read on your website. You said, cannabis is sexy, but hemp is transformative. 
And that is such a powerful statement. So let's talk about the potential both from what it can do, but also the economic potential if we remove some of those barriers and allow this industry to grow to its full potential. Yeah, you know, there's over 70 countries now that have legalized cannabis in some form or another. Some of it's for hemp, some of it's for adult use, some of it's for medical cannabis. But a lot of these countries, especially in Africa, in Asia, in South America, are looking at hemp much differently. And they're looking at it for industrial applications, building materials. They're looking at it to feed their animals from a grain perspective. They're looking at it in order to gain access to hard currencies in other markets. And so they look at it for its export value. So it's not just about CBD. There's all these other applications. So, for example, I gave a speech in Zimbabwe. And we talked about using hemp as a food source because in Zimbabwe, in the rural areas, people only have 2.2 kilos of meat per year in their diet, per year. And hemp is really considered a superfood. So you can have all of this nutrition and improve the health of the people that are relatively malnourished and hemp can fit in quite nicely in that area. You know, there's also hemp for construction and hemp is being touted as an alternative part in automobile production. In Europe, they have really embraced hemp from an industrial application perspective. Mercedes, for example, 20% of, I think, the interior of the car is made from industrial hemp. So when we talk about the potential of hemp, it's not just a matter of the CBD aspect of it. There's all these other applications, and other countries are realizing this, whereas the U.S. is still kind of hung up on, is it 0.3% THC, which is the definition of hemp, or below, or is it above that? And then how to regulate it? If it's 0.31% THC, then it's illegal. So what do you do with that? There's all this confusion at the federal regulatory level and at the state regulatory level, which is really, unfortunately, suppressing the growth and development of the industrial side of hemp. I'm sitting in front of a graph that was part of a presentation you made at a conference in Colorado not too long ago, and it displays some of the modern uses for hemp. And I was honestly shocked at how many products can be made or supplemented using industrial hemp. Well, if you think about it, you know, there's the classic paper and paper products. There's plastics. And plastics are appealing when they're made from hemp because they're environmentally friendly and they're sustainable. But they're also more durable than traditional petroleum-based plastics, depending upon the formulation, of course. And then you have automotive, you've got solvents, you even can make Kevlar jackets out of hemp because it's more durable. And so all these different applications are specifically on the fiber and grain side and really have nothing to do with the production of CBD or CBG or CBN. Right, but it's still that hang-up of the 0.3 versus the 0.31. Yeah, and because of that hang-up, investors, even though there's all these different products and applications, investors are, are still concerned about the legality and illegality of whether or not their products are going to be able to make it to the market. And once they're in the market, are they going to be deemed illegal and taken off the market? I was in Senator McConnell's office, Mitch McConnell's office in D.C. We're talking about hemp policy. And a person said, I have to get my hemp-based roof tiles tested for THC. Does that really make sense? 
and the staff in McConnell's office are just, you know, they were shaking their heads like, well, a lot of this policy doesn't make sense. But that's the level of confusion and, and murkiness and uncertainty associated with being able to regulate this at a federal level. Does it make sense? No. Does it make sense maybe on, when there's applications for medicinal purposes? Sure. But in all these other areas, no, it just doesn't make sense at all. We'll dive into the regulatory stumbling blocks in the next episode. But for now, let's talk about the big economic picture in the United States. If we were to remove those barriers, if we were to find the right regulation and we were able to invest in an industrial hemp industry here in the United States that works, what are we looking at economically? And if you would, compare it to your economic forecast for medicinal and recreational adult use cannabis and give us an idea of the difference between the two, because it's pretty stark. So it doesn't take a whole lot of market share conversion away from traditional industries over to hemp in order to have a pretty significant economic impact. And in preparation for my speech in Colorado, I looked at, because my my firm, Whitney Economics, we look at both sides of this ledger. We look at adult use and medical as well as industrial. So we had put together a, a forecast, a total addressable market of the entire adult use and medical industry globally. And we did it by country. So we added all that up. It's about a $250 billion market. But then when I looked at industrial cannabis and looked at just maybe 10 product types and did minimal conversions it ended up being over $350 billion in total addressable market. So it really dwarfs the adult use and medical market, and it dwarfs it very, very quickly, even with modest total addressable market conversions. So we're not talking taking half the market. We're talking about taking 5% of the textile market or 2% of the plastic bag market or 5% of the animal feed market. It doesn't take a whole lot in order to have the numbers grow exponentially relative to the total value of the hemp market. And again, looking at sustainability, looking at environmental impact, it does not seem out of the realm of possibility that pretty quickly it goes from 5% to 10% to 20% or more, because we're relying now on something that is honestly just better for us, better for the planet, better for generations to come after us. Yeah, you know, one example that I use quite often because... People are surprised at the variety of applications of industrial cannabis is, is I look at electronic vehicle batteries. And right now, basically what happens is you dig up part of New Mexico or part of Nevada to get lithium. And then you put those into these batteries and then you run your vehicles. But you're also excavating parts of South America and Asia as well, you know. And so you're just digging up the land in order to support what is supposed to be this environmentally friendly industry, the electronic vehicle industry. Well, I have been engaging with folks that already have a hemp-based battery. And hemp, in many ways, is a supercapacitor. It holds these charges. So when you develop batteries, and batteries have been developed and already productized in this space, it's just a matter of getting the word out and getting the contracts with the U.S. automobile industry. But the batteries charge up quicker, five minutes to charge the battery. They carry a, a stronger charge, especially at the initial onset of the engagement of the battery. So this is favorable. And you can grow your batteries, right? <laughs> I think, you know, just think of it that way. 
that's kind of mind-boggling to me. But then if you also add into those electronic vehicles and you supplement the batteries with hemp-based plastics for the interior, hemp-based textiles for your safety harnesses, when you look at the side paneling in your car, it reduces the weight of the car and it reduces the cost of production of the car. And because you have less weight, you have extended battery life. So all of these hemp alternatives support the transition of the combustible engine automobile industry over to electronic vehicle industry. And you've got a sustainable product. You've got sustainable industries here. That's what people are not realizing in terms of the potential of the industrial cannabis sector. Based on that example alone, let's look at Ukraine. Utilizing what you just said, even just in the EV market, I would assume that after a while, it drives the cost down on EVs so that consumers can upgrade and move away from fuel-burning vehicles. Then, maybe from a strategic standpoint, a country like Russia now doesn't have its eyes on Ukraine because the world doesn't need the petroleum as much, because the world doesn't need the lithium as much. And I know that Ukraine has tremendous natural resources, which is one of the reasons why Putin wants it back as part of Russia. So utilizing industrial hemp could change things from a global political standpoint, right? Absolutely. You know, where I thought you were going to go with that question about Ukraine is Ukraine is the European breadbasket to the world. So I've been teaching a lot of classes, agricultural economic classes at, say, the University of Nebraska. And I've been teaching all over the world about industrial applications with hemp. And one of the students in the class said, with Ukraine now basically offline as a food supplier, a lot of that food goes down to Africa. And so could hemp be a substitute and replace the food that is now offline in Ukraine? And the answer is yes, but it's going to take some time to do it. So that's feeding people, which is even more critical than, you know, transitioning some of these uh, industries over from traditional into the into the greener technologies. So you're feeding people. And then, yes, there's an environmental, positive environmental impact associated with transitioning over to green technologies. And then there's also the carbon reduction element associated with it. So carbon sequestration and carbon offset credits are very appealing right now in the hemp circle because there's a way to supplement your production costs and the amount of revenue you get per acre for hemp, and you're able to supplement that with some of the carbon offset credits. So there's a lot of economics in just this you know, one plant here, which is beneficial of above and beyond just a simple farmer growing a crop or a person processing the raw materials into a semi-finished goods or a finished goods product. If we were to fully realize a global hemp industry. How many touch points during a day could the average person run into a product that is hemp-based? It would be pretty much constant touch points, and it'd be throughout. I mean, I was just reviewing some pictures from long ago about my kids, and we were looking at at Christmas when they were three and four years old. And I was looking at all of this single-use plastic that was wrapping up all of these toys that we were bestowing on our kids, right, spoiling them, in fact. And I looked at all those single-use plastics, and I was like, wow, that could, that could be hemp right there. Those could be hemp-based plastics. And I'm engaging with companies right now, um, with my company, Everyday Hemp Company, um, in order to deploy single-use plastics. There's 100 million 
plastic knives, spoons, and sporks consumed in the U.S. 100 million per day. And so if you think about that, you know, you go to a picnic, a lot of touch points. There's also, you know, in your car and your automobiles, your clothing. So there's just so many different applications here. So in terms of what are the touch points, it's more like what wouldn't be affected by hemp rather than what actually would be. You're going to speak to the United Nations on industrial hemp. What are you going to tell them? What is the story that you want them to hear about the potential for industrial hemp globally? Well, there's a group called Regenibus, and they're sponsoring a invite-only seminar on industrial and, and medical and uh, recreational applications uh, of cannabis uh, on a global basis. And, and so there's you know, heads of states and ministry-level members, and so it's, it's rarefied air relative to somebody from Portland, Oregon, <laughs> if you think about it. But what we're talking about is how traditional capitalism has had both positive and negative effects on society in general. And if you kind of redefine what capitalism actually does and how it operates and incorporate environmental issues and social issues and and other governance issues, it can be really transformational in the sense that is that you can do a whole lot of good, you can still make profit, but then you can repair a lot of the damage to the earth and to the environment, to society that has occurred as a result of the development of the capitalistic system. And so it's really a matter of talking about the economic potential while embracing the environmental aspects and the sustainability and the social aspects as well. So I'm, I'm talking about the economics of that and trying to highlight different opportunities for other countries to embrace cannabis in their everyday lives and in the way that they run their, their countries, support their people. Now, keep in mind one thing is that there's been discussions at the UN about cannabis policy, right? But it's mainly been setting up these international conventions where it prohibits the development and proliferation of hemp-based products and, and other cannabis products on the adult use and medical side. So a lot of it is about banning this and prohibiting it. And if I'm not mistaken, a lot of that is based off U.S. policy driving that ban because the U.S. doesn't want other countries jumping into the market while we're still reluctant to move forward with federal cannabis reform. Yeah, and the U.S. has a major influence over U.N. policy so during the war on drugs, a lot of this came about starting in the early 70s. And, and so now a lot of international treaties between the U.S. and other countries also have these provisions where you can't promote or, or legalize cannabis in any way. And so as the world begins to realize the economic and social and environmental potential of industrial hemp and just cannabis in general – the UN is having and other countries are having to unwind a lot of these treaties and remove some of these provisions that prevent them from expanding the level and scale of their cannabis programs in their country. So yeah, it's a lot to unpack and it's going to take some time, but a lot of this is has to do with education. And so just like forums today when we're talking about all these other applications that are not medicinal and not related to any type of drug, it's the same type of education that needs to occur even at the political and geopolitical levels. Are you seeing momentum on that global reform? 
Are there countries outside of the United States that are moving quickly forward on cannabis and hemp and potentially setting themselves up to be leaders before the United States even has a chance to reform? Yeah, I'm seeing that a lot and on practically every continent. What's occurring is because we are fairly myopic from a policy perspective within the United States, and we're doing these state-by-state policy-level incremental reform, and it's not federal, then a lot of these countries are taking the lead and setting up strong traditions and strong programs associated with the industrial application of cannabis. Unless the U.S. reforms and deploys something and basically gets its act together quickly, it'll be supplanted as a leading country associating with with industrial applications. I mean, you've got Germany, Mercedes actually has like, like I said, 20% of their car uh, sourced from sustainable products, including hemp. You've got Canada doing a lot. They're actually one of the major exporters to the U.S. of hemp, especially on the fiber side. You've got France with the same thing. Can't forget China, mainly on the fiber and textile side, but they do a lot of CBD production as well. So there's a lot of these countries that have already developed these programs, and the U.S. is in a bit of a, you know, playing a little bit of catch-up right now. And you're also seeing the third world looking at hemp, not only as a way to feed their people, but also to build higher economic standing within the global community, right? Yeah, you know, a lot of the interest, you know, like in Africa, they, they grow a lot of tobacco there. And in order to cure the tobacco, they literally chop down trees and then burn the trees and, you know, use that smoke in order to cure the tobacco. And so there's a lot of deforestation occurring, and that has a pretty wide-ranging environmental impact. If you think about it, you can grow a sustainable hemp product and use that in the curing process, and then you're not destroying these forests, you know, that play an even greater role in the environment. Uh, Same thing is occurring in Central and South America. There's a tribe of indigenous people down in Colombia that I'm starting to get engaged with. They put out this dire warning that the globe is sick and it needs to be mended. And so as a result, they are planting hemp in order to help mend the planet. And they're trying to use that as an example. And they've been articulating this concern for generations now. And so now they're finally stepping up and saying, okay, if nobody else is going to do something about it, we are. And so there's all these different areas where there's this economic development, environmental reparations and and like. And, you know, there's also talk about soil remediation. There's a common misperception that hemp actually restores soil, but basically it just leaches out a lot of impurities out of the soil and then creates a neutral environment so that you can put more nutrients into, back into the soil and replenish it. So even on that side, there's a lot of pollution that's occurred in all these developing countries that can be addressed using and by planting industrial hemp. It almost sounds like we're on the verge of a new age, right? That it's almost the hemp age, that human civilization could take a gigantic leap by embracing this globally, and not only for the benefit of our species, but for the health of our planet. I mean, we've talked environmentalism for 50 years, but really haven't done quite as much as we need, and now we're experiencing the effects of that in action, and time's up. Hemp, the way you talk about it, it really seems like it can usher in that 
next age of global civilization. Well, that's a pretty heavy burden to bestow upon the plant. But but if it can clean pollution from the soil, if it can help with deforestation, right? If it's taking carbon dioxide out of the atmosphere and replenishing it with oxygen, like our trees do that we keep cutting down, if it can be more sustainable, if it can help us move away from the things that are poisoning the planet, that does sound like an age. And yes, I am putting a lot on the plant. But it looks like the plant has that kind of potential if we were to maximize industrial hemp globally. The way that I view it is that's why I say that this is a transformational product, right, or a plant. But it's just a single tool of many that need to be deployed on the environmental side and on the on the social side in order to put the globe back on firm footing. I, I see it not as the solution, but just one of many that needs to be deployed. I'm not sure about the United States. And again, next episode, we'll talk about some of the reasons why. But are we still researching what this plant can do? Are we still unlocking its industrial secrets? And are these other countries developing more uses and more products that industrial hemp might be able to replace? Yes, there's a lot of research being conducted right now and a lot of new discoveries associated with the plant. Right now, even though there's all these applications, it's generally coming from people that have a passion about this and then they pursue the passion. And they may not have funding, but they certainly have proofs of concept. And then it's just a matter of scaling into that potential. So for right now, yeah, there's a tremendous amount of research going on. It's not necessarily being supported for a couple of reasons. One is it's very easy to get a plastic bag at the grocery store. And grocery providers, supermarkets and the like are cost conscious. And so they, they have to have some type of economic compelling argument in order to replace their traditional plastics with alternatives, just as an example. Until there reaches a point where there's a value proposition and some cost parity, it's going to be really tough to supplant these traditional industries, right? And a lot of this will be driven not by my generation as a one of the last years of the baby boomer age, right? But it's by the younger people and the Gen Zs and, and millennials and like, because they are willing to pay a premium in order to do things in an environmentally and a sustainable way. And that ability by manufacturers to differentiate themselves by having environmentally positive product offerings, even at a premium, I think those are the consumers that will really help to accelerate the pace of reform and the pace of expansion in the industrial side. Once that reform begins, though, isn't there a cycle where it starts to become more efficient? It starts to become more widely implemented and in turn drive the cost of production down. And once those costs start to drop, then there's even greater adoption. I have to liken it to the uh, technology boom of the 90s. If I remember correctly, it was like every 45 days, technology was becoming obsolete because we were finding a better and more efficient way to develop it, manufacture it. So initially, industrial hemp is going to be expensive to start this production, and it will only replace small sectors, right? Small portions of these sectors. But over time, it becomes less and less expensive, so it can become more and more widely adopted. Yeah, you're definitely on the right track there. What I'm seeing right now is there's been a lot of folks with passion and with vision, and they're developing products. 
they show the potential of the products. And now, via policy changes at the federal level and, and with grants and the like, and research opportunities at land-grant universities and the like, with money coming in from, say, the USDA, they are helping to firm up the finances of these fledgling operations and these small operators so that they can scale. So right now we're seeing the kind of the second wave with grants coming in from the federal government and they're dipping their toe into the water a little bit. There's still a lot of confusion over, you know, where is the best use of that. And so some of these grants are like, well, we want to do fiber and grain, but we don't want to do that CBD stuff, right? The trade shows are another thing, you know, where the U.S., you know, foreign ag, they're promoting hemp-based products abroad. And so they're opening up new markets for exports of U.S.-based hemp products. That's the beginning, right? And then once you get that momentum going, once the proof of concept turns into products and then the products turns into the economies of scale that you were mentioning, then that's where things really get really interesting and get interesting very quickly. And that's there's some products right now that are at that stage, and there's some products that are still a long way off. It's really an exciting time, though, if you think about it, to be able to be at the kind of the beginning level of this next phase. It's really exciting to have a, a seat at that table and to study this from an economic perspective. And that's where I think we'll stop, because on our next episode, I want to talk about why we may be stumbling right now when it comes to industrial hemp. So that's where we'll pick it up in our next episode with Bo Whitney. Mainstream media. Bo has painted a powerful portrait of what could be if we fully realize the potential for industrial hemp. In part two of our conversation, we'll talk about the sticking points and sometimes frustrating arguments being had at the regulatory level here in Oregon and at the federal level and how we could address issues to benefit us all ecologically, sustainably, and financially. That's next on Mainstream Media on The Coin Podcast Network.